It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We've got a tremendous guest for this episode in Stephanie McCoy. Among many things in her life, she is a battle-scarred survivor still fighting to show up. And by golly, shouldn't we all be that way in life anyway? She is also the creator and founder of the Bold Blind Beauty Movement. Steph and I have got a lot of mutual contacts, but we've never actually connected directly with each other. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Hey, Steph, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Hey, it is such an honor to be here with you. I am so appreciative of you uh, stopping by to, to hang out with us for just a little bit. There's We have so many connections in common, and I've been aware of what you're doing and, and things for quite a while, and I've, I've been meaning to contact you, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to have you here with us today. So thanks a bunch for joining us. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to get into our discussion. Oh, I don't know. I might fool you. This this could be this could get kind of tricky. So we'll we'll find out. But uh, there are lots of things I wanted to talk to you about. You have the the whole bold blind beauty movement, and you we've kind of offline talked about some other topics that I thought would be very relevant for for what we talk about here on the podcast. But to kind of set the table and kind of let everybody know what's going on, I want to know a little bit about your vision story and and you've got a vision change story and 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 like a lot of people do but like most people it it's a unique story so I'm kind of interested in what what yours is yeah my story um it began about 13 years ago and it was very sudden I was uh looking in the mirror I wore contacts I took out my right contact lens and all of a sudden I'm looking at my reflection and half of my face was gone and Whoa. uh I'm like, wow, this is weird. This is really that weird. would be weird, yeah. But you know, I didn't think it was my eyesight. You know what I thought it was? My my blood pressure medication. So I went on and I took out my left contact lens and I made a mental note to call my doctor the next day. I did, and I told them what was going on. And they said, No, you need to call an ophthalmologist right away. You need to make an emergency appointment. So I did. And the ophthalmologist um, examined me, and he told me that what I had was a macular hole. So up until that point, I'd never heard of a macular anything hole. macular. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, the only reference I had to macular was macular degeneration, and I really didn't know what that was. So I asked him, I said, so is it like macular degeneration? And he said, well, yes and no. He said, it affects your, your central vision. So he said, what he explained to me was that my eye, because I was a high myope, which means that I was extremely nearsighted. So my eye was shaped like a football. It was very long. So that means at the back of the eye where the retina is, um, it caused some thinning. And they believe that that could have been the cause of this macular hole. The macula is responsible for crisp, clear vision. So a site that we use for reading, for driving, for recognizing faces, close-up work, anything that Um, gives us that crystal clear vision. That's what the macula does. And in my case, uh, the way he knew that that's what was going on with me, he had me look at this grid. It was called an Amsler grid. 
it looked like graph paper, only it had a dot in the center of it. When I looked at it uh, with my left eye, not only could I not see that dot, all of the lines of the graph were distorted. So I couldn't make heads nor tails of it. I didn't know what I was looking at. He told me there wasn't anything that they could do, but he would refer me to a retina specialist. I went home, though, and I did my own research, you know, Google. <laughs> and uh, the research, my research said that for people with macular holes, it mostly happened in people in their late 60s, early 70s, or in or thereabouts. And the fix for it was to have a gas bubble injected into the eye. And then you would have to keep your head down for a certain amount of time so that the gas bubble could raise up to the back of the eye to seal the hole. Well, because I have a fear of needles in general, and this was a needle going into the eye. Yeah, especially in your like, eye, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I made my own um, diagnosis and said, this is not what I have. Yeah. <laughs> it's just wow. not the wrong. So I said, I'm not going to let anybody do this to me. I go to the retina specialist. He tells me what I had was a macular hole. He backed up the other ophthalmologist. And he says, so what I'm going to do to fix this, I'm going to inject a gas bubble into your eye. Then you're going to have to keep your head down for a couple of weeks. The gas bubble will seal the hole and you'll be good to go. And he also told me because I was young at the time it happened. So I was like in my mid forties. He said, um, because of that uh, and several other criteria that I fell into that he saw no reason that this would happen in my other eye, but if it did, I would be the first to know. So I had the surgery. Um, it was, uh, the surgery itself wasn't very bad, but they waited until I was getting ready to go into surgery to tell me that I would be awake for the procedure. Um, oh, which, yeah, yeah. And the nurse is telling me this and I said, oh no, 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 no. I said, <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand. I cannot be awake for this. I said, um, they're going to stick a needle in my eye and I just really need something to calm my nerves. And she said, well, don't worry. They'll, they'll knock you out to put a block in so you don't feel the pain, but then they're going to wake you up. And, um, mm, I was skeptical. Yeah. But what was interesting was, you know, I could see like the instruments and stuff moving around in there. It was really kind of cool in a way, in a weird kind of way. But the hardest part was afterwards when I had to keep my head down because I did not order any of the devices they had at that time to help you with that process because I figured, hey, I'm young. I can do this piece of cake. It is hard keeping your head down for days on end. What, and what does for keep me, your head down mean? What is that? It means you have to keep your head in a downward position. So, you know, if you're looking down at the floor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had to do that. I had to keep my head in a downward position all the time. He told me like on every hour I could put my head up for like five minutes or something like that. But so how do you, how do you see, live I, like for how long? For, for me, for that first time, it was about a month. So how do you live with your head? Like you have to sleep on your, you can't sleep. On I your had back? to sleep on my side. I had to sleep on, I can't remember which side it was. I can't remember, but I had to sleep on my side. I was given strict orders on what yeah. I had to do and I followed it to the letter so much so that even for that five minutes, 
I wouldn't do it because my thing was, I want my sight back, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but the surgery didn't take. So I had to have it redone a few months later after the gas bubble had dissipated mm. because when the gas bubbles in the eye, you can't see anything. Um, it blocks all the sight. Not that it mattered anyway, because I couldn't see anything out of that eye because everything was distorted. So the second time I had the surgery done, it did work. I got a little bit of vision back. Um, I was still able to drive legally, even with the one eye, because uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, that's legal. I wasn't considered legally blind at that point. However, I remember being at work uh, one day, like a few months later, and I'm looking at a pole with my good eye. So that was my right eye. And I noticed it curve a little bit, just a little bit. And I called, I got an appointment and I went in, the uh, ophthalmologist I saw told me that it was an epiretinal membrane or a macular pucker. And I said, well, can that turn into a macular hole? She said, no. And she, she talked to me like I was an idiot. Like that, that doesn't happen. Like, duh. And do you know a week to the day that she told me that? Um, I'm looking at, I'm standing in my bedroom, looking at my digital clock and boom the numbers went. Mm. I couldn't see the numbers and I knew, I knew what I had. Yeah. So I had to have another surgery. And it was like, after that very first surgery, I had a four year period of numerous surgeries and procedures. Um, I had a torn retina. I developed cataracts, uh, glaucoma, uveitis, um, and none of these things were related really, but I was left with, um, well, legally blind, obviously. So four years it took for me to get to that point where I was diagnosed legally blind. Um, at that time, I can't remember what my acuity was, but today it is considered, um, finger counting or hand waving. What that means is since I can no longer see the eye chart, uh, they test my residual eyesight and I only have a little bit of residual sight out of my left eye. They test that by waving their hands at like a couple feet in front of my face. So that's what I'm left with. Mm, so that's not much. No, it's not much, but uh, it, it's kind of weird because I can see the big picture. It's just really blurry. And I, you know, when I'm in my own home, I know where everything is. I know what things are. I'm not confused or anything, but whenever I am outside of my comfort zone, that's when I run into problems because I don't know if, <laughs> you know, a bush is a person or an animal. I don't know, you know, I mm -hmm. just don't know, you know, until I get closer to it. The only time I don't use my white cane because it's just not prudent to do so is when I take out my dog. I don't have a guide dog, but I do have a pet dog and uh, I walk her, you know, in my uh, condo condominium um, plan, not, not too far, but because um, I'm afraid, you know, I, I don't want to get hit by a car or anything. We don't have any sidewalks in the plan. So I have to be, you know, really careful and just on my P's and Q's. So whenever I leave here, it's like I'm on high alert because, you know, you just have to pay attention to everything that's happening around you. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any reason or any information about how this, t this, happened with you? I mean, is there any kind of genetic 
disposition or any kind of thing that somebody says, this is why this is happening? Or are you just the lucky one was at the right place at the right time to have this type of situation? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I went to Cleveland Clinic uh, three times, I think, during this entire process because they were like my backup for like second and third opinions. So they were the ones that told me after my last surgery that I was legally blind. They said that they think it's because of the high myopia. So my nearsightedness, they cannot, nobody could definitively say that that was the cause of it. So I'm still sort of in the dark and perhaps it's something that I can go back and revisit because now we're 13 years later and even the surgery and everything has changed so much that, you know, they may have some updated information that even I'm not aware of as far as, you know, the cause and whatever, but nearsightedness is supposedly genetic, but in my family, um, I'm the only one that's nearsighted. Well, except for uh, my two sons. Two of my sons are nearsighted. Mm, yeah, that's that's wild. And nobody else before you or, or like brothers, sisters, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins doesn't, doesn't seem to have this type of, of condition either? No, no, none of them. And my one son, my oldest son, he, uh, like I said, he's nearsighted, but he went and got LASIK surgery. So he hasn't worn you know, corrective lenses in years, but based on what one of my ophthalmologists said, it still doesn't mean that he's not at risk for getting this. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're mostly looking at like light perception. Yeah. I mean, I can see things. So, you know, barriers and things I can see colors as long as they're contrasting colors. Mm -hmm. So if it's like a range of colors that are, you know, like a spectrum that I wouldn't be able to differentiate too well, like reds onto like oranges, pinks, you know, and if they're lined up together, I probably couldn't pick them out. But if they're like a red next to a Navy, I could, you know, tell you which one's red and which one's Navy. Um, black and Navy, not so much because they're both so dark. I can see, you know, big objects. I can see movement, but again, it's like, I don't know what the movement is. Um, I, I was on a podcast not too long ago where I was telling the interviewer that I was walking my dog one morning and I happened to notice a person on a hillside or what I thought was a person. And as I got closer, and it was coming into focus, it was actually um, a flag that was on top of a vehicle. I thought the flag was a person mm -hmm. and it looked like that person was moving, but it was a flag. Yeah. Just kind of waving in the wind or something. Yeah. 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 Well, that that's <laughs> something I can relate to because um, what I tell people is oftentimes for me to understand like a person or an object or something, I have to get uncomfortably close, right? Yeah. So like if you're going to ask me what kind of shirt you're wearing or what's, you know, something about your facial features, I have to get more close than you are comfortable with me <laughs> being to kind of understand, you know, to kind of make it out. So maybe just tell me. Right. 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 Yeah. It's it's you know, I think the hardest part for me was not being able to recognize my kids faces. So when they come here because they all have a key. 
um, and I'm sitting here working on my computer or whatever, they have to announce themselves because I don't know mm -hmm. who is whom, you know? Was that a tough transition? And, and how did your, had your kids take that? Yeah, it was tough. Uh, for me, you know, once I received a diagnosis, I really didn't react that day, which I felt was a little strange because like you said, everybody's story is different. Um, and most of the stories I hear people get that diagnosis and it's like an immediate reaction. And I didn't have that. It was almost like I had to go home and think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, which I did. Yeah. Well, you said, you told me you're a thinker I am. as well. So yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, cause I had to think about my life. I had to put everything into perspective and yeah, it, it takes, so, and everybody's different and how they react to anything in life. And that's, um, that's a pretty big thing to, to have to respond to. Right. Right. So I think, I mean, looking back, I almost think that, you know, my coworkers, friends and family probably took it a little harder than I did initially because I just couldn't really grasp it at first. You know, I had to toss it around. And as it slowly began to seep in that this was going to be my life and I had to figure out new ways of doing things, that's when anger and um, some of those other feelings began to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but I think the biggest thing for me was coming face to face with my own personal biases towards blindness. That was really hard because I always thought that I was this open-minded, accepting person, you know, who gives everybody a chance. And yet now that I found myself in this situation, I looked at it like there was something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like I was broken and I was broken because now I'm, I'm blind. And what does that say about me? And really it was, um, I had to admit that I had some biases where that was concerned. Yeah. That was very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I think for me, I, I kind of, in, in my vision change story, I think that was something that happened with me too, that I had to come to grips with, you know, it was kind of, not not to say bad about really anybody, but it's like those things are were far away, and I didn't have to deal with those types of things. And my life is is great the way it is, and everything's hunky dory and fine. And then like boom, all of a sudden it's not. And then you you may like play back interactions you've had previously, or understandings you've had about certain people or different types of abilities that you didn't really have to relate to until you have to relate to. Right. And that can, <laughs> that can be challenging. It's very sobering. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good word for it. It can be very sobering and you really learn a lot about yourself and your resolve and, and how deep your, your willingness to accommodate even yourself, because you, you've got to make, it's it's change and nobody likes change but change happens every second of the day right it it happens every second of the day and you either get with the change or it changes and you are left behind so you've got to that that's a that's a train you got to be on all the time anyway with with anything in life right 
And when you have situations with, with vision change or whatever changes in your life personally, um, it's, it's important. I mean, you got to find your ground. You got to get solid and, and try to level set yourself, but you got to keep marching on. And it sounds like that's what you did. Yes. Yes. After, <laughs> after I got a grip and you know, the, the thing that helped me the most was I came face to face with those biases was then immersing myself within the blind community. Which, which is a big community. And you, you it is. If, if you're like me, you didn't realize that until you, no, until you not start at all. looking at it. So, yeah. Not at all, but it was such a wonderful experience. And that was another thing that was sobering to me because it was like, you know, it was great, but it also helped me to see what I was missing. You know, I didn't have any blind friends prior to my sight loss. I did have a friend when I was growing up, but she was the only one. And now here I am walking alongside these amazing blind people. They actually, um, I joined our uh, ACB affiliate, our American Council of the Blind Affiliate local here in Pittsburgh, our Golden Triangle Council of the Blind, and became active on the state level as well and headed up a couple committees. And um, we had this team for the Foundation Fighting Blindness uh, Vision Walk, the Pittsburgh Vision Walk. And many of them joined my team. And it was just so great to have this huge team of sighted and blind people walking together to raise money to cure, you know, blinding retinal diseases. That was one of... um, the best things that, you know, for me could have come out of this. Losing sight is never easy. It's not. But, you know, when I befriended my blind friends and I could see the amazing work that they were doing, I wanted what they had. I wanted to do what they were doing. And it was um, a way for me to have a creative outlet to do those things that I was passionate about. My life didn't end because I lost my sight. It was just that I had to figure out a new way of doing things. And they helped me to see that. That's kind of my experience too. Uh, I was in college when my vision loss occurred. And I mean, I would walk by the the library and these other facilities day after day after day as a, as a normally sighted person. And then boom, all of a sudden I'm not. And then I look around, I mean, somewhat figuratively, I guess, look around, but um, <laughs> there's all these resources that are right there that I just did not pay any attention to previously, um, but were there during, you know, prior to me and and for me at that time and, and since me that I, you just, and, and I think that can, if it definitely relates to, to, to you and I and, and vision change or vision loss story, but I think that kind of globally can be applied to most people in most situations where something is where you need some help with something or you need to help understand something. There is help available and sometimes you don't know it's there until you need it. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I try to impress upon people why, uh, 
disability inclusion is so very important and it impacts everyone because out of all the uh, minority groups in the world, the disability community is the largest, but we're the only minority group where anyone can become a member at any time. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, you know, how rich or poor you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what religion, how much schooling, nothing matters. You can acquire a disability at any given time in your life. And that's why it, it's important for everyone to, um, you know, take notice and to, Listen, number one, listen and learn like your podcast, the stories that you share, the work that you're doing and sharing those stories, because these stories can become our stories, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they can. You, you've mentioned to me that you are uh, somewhat of an introvert and that this isn't necessarily your bag to do all these things, I guess. But y so you, you created Bull Blind Beauty and you're showcasing people that are that fall into these categories and you're 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 announcing helping people come forward with their different abilities and especially in the, the vision world so tell me about bold blind beauty what the what the origin story for that was and and what you're doing and, and where you're going with it sure so as i told you before we went live um i said that i'm an introvert but I'm and I, I have a hard time believing that actually, but <laughs> I really, really am. I really <laughs> am. Honest okay. gosh. I'm an intensely focused, highly sensitive, introverted creative. How's that for a mouthful? Okay. <laughs> highly That's a good sensitive. Start. Yeah. <laughs> so um I I've always been passionate about equity and social justice. And so when I began losing my eyesight and, uh, you know, received my final diagnosis, um, began creating my own community of people, friends and mentors who are blind, I began understanding that the world at large really doesn't understand what blindness is. Blindness to most people is not seeing anything. Yeah, it's either zero vision, total darkness, or normal, whatever, right. that, whatever normal is. Whatever normal is. Yeah. There is no such thing so as normal. Anything in between is a mystery to everybody and and just put some glasses on, right? Just here, right. here's glasses. Right, to fix it. Yeah, this will fix glasses. it. Yeah, fix right. it. yeah, get some surgery, get some medicine. Yeah, you, know? you can just, just do that. <laughs> Some of us are past that. I mean, it's like when people say that to me, I'm like, oh, wow, I, I wish I would have thought about yeah, that. Yeah, that's a great Medicine idea. Medicine and surgery, darn. Thank you for the heads but, up on that. <laughs> and I don't mean to poke fun at people. People, we don't know. We really don't know what we don't know. I didn't know. I would say. I didn't either. I would say I'm the same you. thing. Yeah. So I, I, I only mean it because I like to have a good time and I like to. I mean, I do like to poke fun just to have fun, but I don't mean any any malice by it. But that's because I come from the same line of thinking. That that's to me either you either have your your Ray Charles or you're right. you're normal. It's like you you right. there's no in between, and so anything in between is is highly confusing. And right. while I'm standing at at a line at a Starbucks, for instance, and there's 16 cups on the counter and one of them says my name and I have to ask somebody, Hey, 
um, I'm looking for John. Can you help me? And they look at me like I'm crazy. Cause like <laughs> it's right here. It's right in front of you. It's like, thank you. Right. Right. They're like, duh, what are you blind? Hey, well, yeah, actually, well, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what was the, give me, give me, how, how did you start bull, bull blind beauty? What, okay. what happened there? So how I started it, um, I actually started it a couple things. Um, I noticed that people were confused when I was using a white cane, I was working, uh, at one of the big four accounting firms back then. So I would use my white cane and navigate wherever I needed to go. And of course, um, I was always dressed nice, had my makeup on and people just couldn't understand what was going on. It's like, wow, why is she using a white cane when a, obviously she can see, you know, obviously, yeah, obviously. Uh, obviously. And also during that same time, I was asked by the Pennsylvania council, the blind president had asked me to give a talk to a group of blind women about makeup application. And, uh, so I did what I always do. I searched the internet high and low, and there was very little to be found about makeup application for blind women. So I created a presentation based off of what worked for me because I obviously had to make some changes as I was losing my sight. And um, I picked some things and products and stuff that I felt would be helpful for people who were totally blind. That got me to thinking, wow, you know, maybe this is something we should be talking about. So that was the initial idea behind the creation of Bold Blind Beauty. And just to back up a minute, um, I want to explain what it is. Bold Blind Beauty is an advocacy platform that is demystifying blindness by empowering connecting and breaking barriers. And the way we do that is through, as you had mentioned, John, is through featuring stories of people who are across the blindness spectrum. These people come from all walks of life. They're all around the globe. And what this does is to help further our mission of improving humanity by changing the way we perceive one another. Mm, that sounds great. That is, that's a great mission there. Thank you. And you've got how many? How many? How many folks have you um, showcased? Or because there's been a few people that we have in common that have been on the podcast that have been part of your um, showcase as well. It's a couple. How many? How many folks have you? Gosh, oh, geez, I would say a couple hundred, maybe. Yeah, that's a lot. People, yeah, yeah, and we just started showcasing men in 2020. 2020. Can anybody forget 2020? Yeah. What What happened in 2020? That's weird. <laughs> For us, 2020 <laughs> began as 2020, the year of vision. Yes, okay? exactly. We thought, we thought, oh, this, this is, is the so year. cool. This is yeah, the year. this is the year. It was the year, wasn't it? <laughs> see, see clearly now. <laughs> but that little, was little the year did we, we know. Began. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you. That was the year where everything changed, but it was also the year where we began featuring uh, men's stories. Well, and that's good because you had to change. You have to yeah. grow and adapt. And I don't right. know too many beautiful men. I mean, <laughs> show the, the word beauty in there, but um, that's great too. It, it actually is. And I actually did have one gentleman uh, from Australia reach out to me before we started featuring the guys. He reached out to me and he asked me if, 
I would mind featuring him. He said, you know, I'm confident in my manhood. And he <laughs> said, I have no problem with the word beauty. And it just made me laugh. And I did feature him last year. Matt DeGrucci, I featured him and he's awesome, awesome speaker, advocate. Uh, he sells his own line of clothes to advance his mission of, of um, you know, improving the world by uh, demystifying blindness as well. So, uh, you know, the men that we featured, I think they're, they're beautiful people. Sure. You know, beauty yeah. isn't just for women. Yes. It's, yes. you know, and it can just. be found yeah. in, I know, it can be found in so many areas, you know, and that's another thing too, uh, with bold, blind beauty, I intentionally chose the words, uh, bold and beauty and put the word, wait, bold, blind, be yeah, put the word blind <laughs> in the middle because you very seldom see the word blind attached to beauty or boldness. Wasn't there like a show called The Bold and the Beautiful or something? Yeah, The Bold and the Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but we got the blind in there too. So, yep. Yep. So how do you find folks? Do they find you or do you find them? Or what is your process for scouring the, the globe looking for these folks? <laughs> now people do find me. When I started out, I just was finding them on various social media platforms. And I still do that to some degree. However, uh, social media can wear me out. I mean, it, it can be so draining. Oh, yeah. oh, and. Gosh, yes. Uh, you, seriously, as an introvert, it, it's one of the, I think, most draining experiences that I not only have to take a nap, I have to take like days to sort of recuperate, <laughs> can, you know, I can and relate. come back. Yeah. yeah. If it wasn't can for the podcast. Really? Yeah. I, no, I can, because if it wasn't for the podcast, I really loathe social media. I really do. And I have been pretty upfront about that. I, I was on Facebook kind of in the beginning because that was in the age group that was, that was doing that at the beginning. But I am so tired of that and everybody's opinions on everything and whether oh, you're having gosh. a sandwich or whether you're going yes. to the store or whether you're at the club yes. or wherever you are. And so yes. I, I got super tired of all that and, and you go through phases in life and I've mm -hmm. definitely phased out of that. And before, you know, social media does have some positive things. I mean, there's so many yes. negative things to it because information is spread quickly and it may not be the right information right? I think yeah. we've, we've learned yeah. that over the, the few years yep. that it's, that's been around that, um, this, this viral concept and, and misinformation and blah, 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 blah. So I really loathe social media, but when you're in the position of wanting to promote something or connecting like with a necessary people, evil. it's really the best thing for that. And yeah. I will say that through social media, I've really made some incredible connections some great people yes. through YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and LinkedIn and all those places where, you know, if you can fight through all the minutia and the stuff the you noise. don't want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you can just tone in the noise or hone it into what you really are looking for, you, they're, they work great. And I can see where it's, it's, it's a great place to find folks that you're looking for and folks that I'm looking for and, and even folks that find you. Right. Definitely. And I think that's how, I don't know, I've, I've been aware of you for, for a while on, on social media. And I don't know if it was LinkedIn or, or where it was that we finally connected, but um, it's, th there are really good advantages to social media. And if you, 
But if you're sitting there scrolling through it all day and not doing what you're supposed to be doing in life, then then I'm probably not interested in, in having too much of a conversation with you because I, I don't know if we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> right, right. It, it just, it worries me as a thinker. Um, like you said, a lot of the, the stuff that's being said is taken out of context and then people will just jump on one thing or one person. It's almost like we forget that we're people too. Well, it's easy to do that when you're staring at a computer screen and you're not, you're not, you know, face to face with the person or you don't have a right. personal connection with them. It's real easy to say something just stupid. Yeah. And I mean, people say stupid things when they're talking to people and they're like, well, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. But <laughs> on social media, you don't ever get the I'm sorry. They just move on right. or they ghost you or they just, you know, do it to somebody else and just keep moving. to. Or they go all in and tear you apart and you're left like yeah. totally just beaten down, you yeah, know, that is not the way things are supposed to be. That's not, not supposed to work. No, no. So social media can also be, as I think we've kind of alluded to here, a place where you don't want to be if you've got some maybe questions about yourself or not feeling great. It, it can be a place where you can go to, to dogpile on somebody else or somebody can dogpile on you or you just kind of go to get into the the swarm of ugliness. And yeah. if you're not feeling confident about yourself and if you're not feeling good, you can easily get sucked into the abyss of any kind of social media platform. And right. you got to be careful about that too. And I think you've mentioned to me that as, as I have also done struggle with those types of things from time to time in life. And the more things that we have on our plate, the more things that are happening, the easier it is for that to happen. Definitely. Definitely. How do you pull yourself out of those types of situations? Gosh, you know, it's funny because um, I have lived with chronic depression all of my life, all of my life. And it seems like every time I have an episode, you would think that I would get better at it, you know, like, oh, okay, so this is triggering me. So I know how I'm going to feel. So this is what I'll do to fix it. But it doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, if it does for others, I'm so happy that it works for them because it it hasn't worked for me uh, that way. Um, what I do is I have to pull back, number one. I know that when I'm like that, that I'm not in the proper headspace to um, – I don't have the energy, quite frankly, to – you know, go on social media or even go out and socialize with people. I just cannot do it. Uh, you may be wondering, well, you were working for a big four accounting firm. How did you do it back then? <laughs> and it was, it was hard, you know, being that I had this all of my life. Um, I found ways to do it, you know, when I was working full time to be able to, um, navigate through it. I would try not to engage with, with many people because I know me, you know, but now that I'm home, um, the majority of the time and most of the work I do is online, it's just easier just to shut everything down. And that's what I do. I just go off grid because, um, you know, my, my mental health is, you know, of the utmost importance, because if I can't show up, 
you know, whole, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the people that I'm trying to help. One of the things, though, I find interesting is on social media, I, I have followed some people who do show up even when they're not feeling very well, and they're very open about it. And I marvel at that. I really do, because I feel that if I could have the courage to do that, then maybe that might even be more of a, like, people could look at that and say, well, hey, if she is going through that, then I don't have to feel bad about myself going through this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because in some respects, when I go off grid, I'm basically hiding because I don't have the courage to do that. Um, you know, I identify myself as a battle scar survivor still fighting to show up. I came to that description after looking at my life as a whole. None of us are one-dimensional. There's no one thing that describes any of us because as humans, we're so complex. But when I look at my life and, you know, just how difficult it was navigating some of the things that I found myself in, and some of them were of my choosing or my doing, you know, I, I came through those things. So... The other thing I do is I'll try to reflect on those times when I did come through a really, you know, horrific situation. And I came through on the other side stronger. That helps. I keep a, a folder that I call a do not quit folder where I put comments um, that people send to me, you know, about uh, Bold Blind Beauty, about the work I do, um, about my voice and how it has impacted them. I keep those messages in there and I'll go and I'll look through that just to regain some perspective because I think sometimes it's too easy, you know, when we're feeling low, when we're in that dark place, it's too easy to listen to those voices that say, you know, you have no value, you have no worth, you know, you're this, you're that. And uh, it's not true. So I'll look at those, those messages to remind me of, you know, the person I am and the work I do and why it's so meaningful. Yeah, that's great. I like that idea. Thank you. Did you, when, when you go off the grid, do you include your family, your, your close contacts in that, or do you just go totally dark? I mean, do you have a support network? Yeah. Uh, in, in recent years, um, and when I say recent, I mean very recent. So like in the last two to three years, I have a small network of friends who I can trust that I can reach out to and say, I'm in trouble. I'm going off grid. You know, I let my family know that too, because otherwise if I don't do that, then these people are worried about me and, you know, they don't know what's going on and I don't want them to, uh, to worry. I don't want to put them through that unnecessary, you know, emotional trauma. So I do that and I'll let them know, you know, where I'm at through that process because, you know, I'm shutting off my phone and everything. So there's no way for anybody to get in contact with me unless, you know, my brother or my sons come by, you know, physically mm -hmm. to check on me. But yeah, I do reach out 
to that small network. And um, like I said, th this network is so great because we wholly trust one another and we can lift one another up. So it's reciprocal. So when they're feeling that way, I'm there for them or not there as they need. And that's what's so great about interdependence. You know, I think the other thing we talk about independence, especially with a disability and how important that is. And we stress it like it's like the most important thing. But I honestly think interdependence is more important because we do, we are interconnected. There were people in my life that I had to um, cut off because they were toxic. It took me a while to recognize that because I thought it was me. But once I realized it wasn't, I had to make that difficult choice. And so now I'm more careful about the people who, you know, are my friends. I know who they are because they're in it for the long haul, not just for, you know, the good times. They're in it for, you know, the not so good times. And I'm in it with them for the the same time too. Well, it's great that you can have that that network. And I, I'm I'm envious of anybody that um that has that and, and I, f I feel bad for people that don't because it they are available and you just have to kind of look around but there are people that you you probably do need to disassociate with the, the toxic people like you said or things that are happening before you can really get into a rhythm and um understand and you know, better understand life and and kind of have a, how to move things forward and get out of those those dark areas and it does take a lot of courage to do that right and you have your family and this this close knit network and that's fantastic. You also have, you know, people that don't really understand any of those kind of things is like kids, right? So like yes. you have you have young kids around you, right? I think uh, we don't want to yes. we don't want to date anybody here age anybody, but <laughs> I'm totally open uh, about uh, my age. Okay. Well. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we've discussed, you're just a couple years older than me, but you've got some grandchildren and, and those guys, yes. they don't really quite get that just yet. You know, that's, they will understand those things, but they don't really know why dad or mom or grandma or grandpa doesn't do these kind of things or seems weird around those things. So those, I think those are, are healthy things to have in your life to kind of keep you young and keep you kind of on your toes and, and always adapting to, to what they're trying to do and the next wave of of humanity, right? Oh, yes, for sure. They definitely keep you young. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I certainly hope that's the case with me anyway. Uh cuz I don't have I don't have I don't have another choice, I guess. I guess none of us do cuz we're not <laughs> none of us I don't know anybody that's getting any younger, so. Awesome. Right. Right. Awesome. Okay, so Steph, it's been a great conversation chatting with you here. How do people get in touch with you? Is it uh Bold Blind Beauty dot com com okay what's your yes com? yeah yes sure. com and on all socials except for linkedin it's bold blind beauty so twitter uh instagram facebook we have a group and a page and on linkedin is uh my name stephanie mccoy okay well we'll link to all that in the show notes too so you don't have to if you're listening, you don't have to remember all those things, but we'll, we'll connect with you. We'll put you on the website and get all those linked up. So it's been, uh, it's been great visiting with you and connecting with you finally in person, or at least, uh, through the, through the virtual 
internets and what have you. So uh, thanks again for, for joining us. It's been, it's been fun. Thank you, John. It's been so much fun talking with you. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.